the title today is Being One with God. Being One with God. Now, that should be no surprise. That's what God has called us to be. Not only us, but every other human being who has ever been born. But as we know so well, each in their own order. So I want to, uh, you can be turning to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. I'm going to spend a little time there. This is nothing new to us. But in the things that I want to go through, I think maybe you'll find it interesting. When we think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we say, oh, yes, I need to be reminded that I'm nobody. Now, isn't that the first thing that comes to mind? Well, that's right. We're going to find we are nobody. But we're also going to go over why then God brings it up and what he's going to do with us as a result of who we are and who especially who we were before God called us. Well, verse 20. And he asks the question, Paul, where is the wise? Okay, yeah, we're going to find out we're not very wise. But where, where are the wise? What, what do we understand now, and what are we seeing in such a vivid way in the world? All of those men out there, the elite, we call them, the elite of this world. Those that control all the money, virtually, and they have all of the power, virtually, because of money and because of who they are and how long their families, a few families, have planned what they are going to do in the near future. So they think they are the wise. But as it will turn out, it's very, very different. All right, who are the wise? Where's the scribe? Where is the disputer of the age? Did not God make foolish the wisdom of this world? Well, he certainly has. And he's going to drive that point home in a very, very powerful way. And we can't even imagine entirely how that is going to be. But in verse 24 then, what does he say? But to those who are called, all right, he brings this up because he's speaking to us. And he's speaking to everybody that was called by God the Father from the time of Christ going back to the Father after he paid the supreme price for sin with his own blood. And so after that, we were called. We're in that group. That started then in the first century after his death. But we are now down near the other end of that period of time. And so we were called by God. And right there, what, 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 is, what does that 
mean? Well, in verse 26 then, he's speaking to us. We realize that we have been called. We can remember that so succinctly. I hope we all can. I know I can remember vividly. I don't remember the exact date, but it was in July 1965. But when God opened my mind and my ears that night, I knew something had happened. And then within two weeks, I really got a dose of hearing with the ears things that I had never had a clue of. Now, I hope that some of the rest of you had that experience because it was so emphatic. And when something like that happens and God is involved, you're going to remember it. Now, what does that facilitate? Aren't we to be overcoming until the end? Aren't we to be so committed that we will never consider turning back from what God personally is offering us? Now, he is offering us, but as we're going to see right here, he also is going to use us this, this isn't just about giving us a cushy place to live forever. Oh, we, a lot of us were raised as Protestants, right? And now we talk about the Protestants. And sometimes we probably browbeat them in a way we shouldn't because we were one of them. And we were as blind as they are. Now, maybe some of us thought about things and said, that doesn't make sense. Well, it didn't make sense. The things that we were being taught. But were we able to then go to God, to go to Christ and worship him in truth? No. As Christ says in John 6, John chapter 6, 44, it always starts the process with us. And it starts the process with every other human being called in this age. Because Christ said, no one can come to him unless the Father draw him. That means to draw us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We do not yet have it. But he draws us and opens our ears and we begin to hear and then we begin to see with our eyes. And that's the way it works. And that's the way for it to continue like good seed planted on good ground. What does it do? You add a little water and it's going to grow. And it's amazing. Now we're just coming into the rainy season, hopefully. I say that hopefully I live in California. And we know what drought is. But thankfully, last winter, we got some rain, right? Well, all right. But when, let's, let's look here then. So we know we're called. And it's not just the Israelites that are called. It's, it's everybody in the selection. 
in the selection. Now, when God calls, what is he doing? He is selecting. Did somebody just put a bunch of names in a, not a very big hat probably, but a bunch of names in there. And then when God decided he needed to call somebody else and put them into judgment, which we are in, then, all right, he's going to pull that out. Now, what would that be? That would be at random. But God didn't do that. This is a personal thing with God. He knew us. And we'll get to that after a bit here if I ever get out of this area. So anyway, in verse then 26, you see your calling. Well, we do when we think back. Brethren, that there are not many who are wise according to the flesh. According to the flesh. Well, we have a lot of people out there. I've brought them up. I'll be bringing them up. And they think they're wise, don't they? They think they are all-powerful. And in a, for a very brief time, they do have great power. And they are going to carry out their plan. They want to take over the world, we know. And they are going to literally do it. Now, that's mind-boggling to a little country boy growing up in Kansas on the flatlands, around farms and animals and common, ordinary people. I mean, if somebody would have brought that up to me back when I was in high school or even college and whatnot, they're going to take over the world. I would have thought, what are you talking about? You're crazy. Well, it's right here in, in the Word of God. But you see, I was still blind. I, I couldn't see. I couldn't understand. And that was the case with every one of us, right? All right. So here we are. There are not many wise, according to the flesh. Not many who are powerful. Who is it that thinks they are so powerful? It's the cabal. It's those that are, have the plan and are implementing the plan to take over the world. They think they're that powerful. And there's not many high-born among us who are called. Have you checked your pedigree lately? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Toynton pedigree. Uh, I'm sure that that goes back to somebody very powerful. It must. But I'll, I'll guarantee you one thing. You've never heard the name Toynton before you met me or heard of me. You never heard the name. That's how mighty and how powerful my pedigree is. And so, again, a case in point. Who's God calling? These are the kind of people that he's calling. Rather, God has chosen he not only calls us, but he has chosen us for a very important job. He didn't call us just to make us happy. Yes, he promised to make us happy, but that's not why he called us. There's something else, and we're going to see the first part of it, the first part of it here in a moment. He has chosen the foolish 
of the world, so that he might put to shame those who are wise and powerful and all of that that they think they are. He has chosen us to put, well, and I said that wrong. I, I apologize. No, he has chosen us that he, God, and that's the one that's going to do it. He's going to put them to shame. No doubt about that. He's going to bring them down and rub their nose right in the dirt and the dung, probably. He's going to make sure that they get a message from God. So there we are. He's chosen the weak things. And we are weak in many, many ways. What is our biggest frustration now that we have been called and in the church of God for several decades? What is our, one of our major frustrations? That we cannot walk more perfectly with God. Now, isn't that, a, isn't that a frustration to you? And I know a lot of you out there. You go through a lot of things, and you've been drugged this way, and you've been drugged that way. And when you realize what you have done, it can be very discouraging. But then at that point, we have to what? Get closer to God, that we can proceed to come into absolute synchronization and being one with God. That's what God wants, and we're going to see that in a very personal way as as we proceed. Here we are. He's chosen us, the weak things, that he might put to shame the strong and the lowborn of the world, the despised even, has God chosen, even the things that are counted as nothing. And we know for sure one thing, no matter how well we have done with being so doing in life, and after being called, that's what Christ wants. He says, will I find? He says, I will look to that person who is so doing. Well, that so doing is a lot of things. But one of them is being one with God. And the other thing is that we have to know God and love God in our hearts, absolutely like he says in the first commandment. What does he say? We have to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. And Luke says, all of our, even our physical strength, living life with that strength, having to be dedicated to being one with God. Now, that's, that's the point of being one with God. But what, what does it say then? And the little born, counted as nothing, in order that he, again, that he might bring to nothing the things that are. All of the power. What does he say? He is going to eliminate all nations because Christ is going to establish the kingdom of God. Christ is going to establish that. But guess what? What does Scripture show us? 
What is the reward of the faithful? It's to be there with God and with Christ, right? So we have that, and we can hold on to that when we get discouraged. So here is the main overall reason why he is calling us and why he then is going to use us to bring those high and mighty down low and put them to shame so that in the overall working of God's plan for mankind, no flesh can stand up and say, God, thank you. I'm here and thank you for considering me because I have earned it. Now, can mankind really say that? All things come from God, don't they? All things. Well, no man should glory before God in the wrong way. Mainly, we can only look at God and be thankful. That's what we have to do. Well, I need to move on. I want to go to Ephesians briefly because it's a very starting point. It's connected to John 6. But here Paul make, uh, brings out this, some points here. Starting, We'll start in uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. What has he done? He's opened our eyes. He's opened our ears. He's shown us his word. And what does Christ say that his word is? It is spirit, literally spirit. And that's why we are able to communicate with God through his word because he is talking back to us and showing us who he is, and what he wants. But it is also life, Christ said. What is that? It's because if we enter the word of God in communication with God the Father and with Christ, it will lead us to eternal life. Now that's why it's also life. So that's the point. But here, in verse 4, Ephesians chapter 1. According as he, God the Father, has personally chosen us for himself. Aha! Uh -huh. He chose us for his own purposes. Not, you know, not because we were so great or so good looking or so whatever, you know. <laughs> so robust. Yeah. We all get old, don't we, Fred? We get, yeah, yeah. I, I, can't, I, I keep pointing fingers at Fred. I'm just trying to keep him humble. Except you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, there you go. But, no, he has personally chosen us. And he, it says, before the foundation of the world. That is in the plan that he and Christ developed agreed upon, they agreed upon all parts of it, and one part of that was he was going to call some first before all of the other 
people that have ever been born lived and died. And that's billions of people. We do not know the number. But he called us first for some things he wants us to do. And that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. Because that's what we have to do now. As I said before, we are in a time of judgment. What is judgment for? It's to get us ready to be able to be with Christ and work with all of the rest of people toward salvation. That's why having predestinated us for sonship to himself through Jesus Christ. And that is his will. And he's working that out. He's working it out in us right now in this time of judgment. Well, we've been talking about how God is going to use us and how personally he is in our lives. He entered our lives for his own purpose, but he did it personally. Now, if we're going to become one with God, don't you think we need to know God personally in the same way? And so we're going to go back. Oh, you've been there. I mean, it's, it's one of, well, it's maybe my most favorite place in the Bible. You can go back to John, chapter 1. Chapter 1 of John, we're only going to cover two verses, but maybe this will help us understand how we should be one with God. Because this is going to say an awful lot about how Christ and God are one together. And they are. They are literally in sync and in agreement. Christ isn't a robot. He did everything the Father told him to do when he came here below. But he's not a robot. We're going to see right here. Very interesting. In the beginning, well, there are two words you could write down if you're out there taking, trying to take a few notes. Was and with. Because those two words, they're little helper words, right? To communicate with the other words. But they're very succinct in the Greek. And Fred has told us for a long time that the Greek is a very specific language, right? Well, all right. In the beginning, and of course that not there was no beginning for Christ and God. No beginning, no end. So we're talking about the beginning of the implementation of the plan of God. That's what we're talking about was the Word. All right. And the Word was with God. Now that term was there. The Word was. What does it mean? The literal state of being. It simply was. The Word was. He existed. He's reality. That's what I like to call it. And I think maybe... Um, the one who put together some of this, was, was thinking. The word 
was reality. And then what does it say? He was with God. Now that word with is very significant in understanding the nature of God, who God is, who Christ is, and how many in the world, how literal many in the world know the answer to that. I would say it is a very, very small number. I have no idea how many, and many do, but it's a small number. Well, if we take and break down this word with, in the Greek, which it was written, first, there are three things I'm going to point out. Number one, it means with, but as distinct from. The word was with God, but he was over here, okay? And God was over here. Succinct from, distinctly different from. In, in direction, it means toward or face to face. You have God here, you have God here, and they're facing each other in communication. Now, what do you come up with? One God. One God. And yet, so many people have in the past. Old Ken Westby used to have his One God seminar every spring. And there'd be all kinds of uh, one of the bees go and join him in that conference. And they would debate, discuss, and so forth, and try to be intellectual. And all they were doing was making a fool of themselves. Really? No. Now, the third thing is, it's implying intimate and closest intercommunication. Do you suppose that you have God and you have Christ and they're both God and they have existed for eternity? Now, what kind of communication do you think they have had? I mean, it blows the mind. We can't begin to go there. But that is how personal God looks at Christ and Christ looks to God very, very personally. And if we're going to know them and be one with them, we have to know them in the same way. That's why I bring it up. So let's go to Chapter 17 of John. Now we go over this every Passover time because we, in the church of God, we like to go through the teaching of God that he had with the apostles toward the end of his time on earth as a physical human being. And he knew he was... He had all these things he yet wanted to instruct them on so that after he was gone and the Holy Spirit came, they would be prepared to begin the literal church of God, the New Testament church, the spiritual church. It wasn't just a physical people like in the old, under the old covenant. 
chapter 17, verse 2, he says, Since you, Father, this is Christ's prayer. Now, this was the day he was going to die. It was a nighttime portion. It was Christ's darkest hour. And if you ever, well, you have, you've read, you can read Mark's version, or you can read Matthew, Mark, or, or uh, Luke's account of how he felt that night after the Passover, after keeping the old covenant Passover as instructed. He had to do that before he introduced the new. He was under the old covenant here below. As he was a human on this earth, he was under that old covenant. And he kept it. He kept that Passover every year. And now he was going to pay the supreme price and go back to the Father. And so he says, glorify your own son so that your son may also glorify you. And he knew that. But there, before he gave this prayer, what did he do? There in Mark, I'll use Mark's account. He went out there and he got on his knees by himself and he beseeched God the Father, his heavenly Father, He's also our Heavenly Father. But he was Christ's Heavenly Father then. And so, he says, Father, if possible, if possible that this cup be taken from me, please. Right away he said, no, your will, not my will, you see. That's how personal it was. And that, but it was, it shows it was his darkest hour. Well, here then, we're going to see he put that all of that behind him and was focused forward. All right? He begins to give a bit of a report to the Father. He says, I have glorified you on the earth, verse 4, and finished the work that you gave me to do. Well, what was that? That was the work that he had to do and was given to do when he came here below as a human being to pay the supreme price for sin. He finished that. Now, he has a lot more work. Look at the millennium when he establishes the kingdom of God here below. He's got a lot more work. But up to this time, he says, I have done it, Father. I've done what you told me. And now we can go forward. So he says, Father, glorify me with your very own self, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. All right, you one-godders, how about that? Put that together with John 1. No, he existed with God from eternity. And we know that, but I'm stressing that, that we need to understand personally the relationship of the Father and the Son. And so he says, 
I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me. He's speaking of the apostles. And he had been intimate with them for three years. And he had taught them what they needed to know. But he's focused on them. But down in verse 20, it shows that I do not pray for these only, the apostles, but also for those who shall believe. And all that that word means. Believe in me through their word. And so he was praying for us as well. That we could be one with the Father as he was. I have manifested your name to these men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, Father. They were yours. But you have given them to me. And they have kept your word. He's speaking of the apostles. And brethren, what right here shows how this applies to us as well. We have to also say what he said of the apostles. We have to keep God's word. And we can do that if we seek. Deep in conviction, seek to be one with God. He says in verse 10, All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. But verse 11, verse 11, And I am no longer in the world. You see? He was, but he had, he had put behind what he was asking a few moments before and he says, let's go on, Father. Let's see this thing through. But these are in the world. So he was focused then upon the apostle. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, those whom you have given me, so that they may be one even as we are. You see why I wanted to cover that? That's what he wants of us here at the end of the age. He wants us to be at one with him. He says in one place, my word is not gone out of my mouth in vain. Now that's his mindset. So who, if that does not come, if we do not come to fruition and prove to be worthy to be chosen by Christ. Whose fault is it? It's not Christ. It's not the Father's. If we don't make it, there's only one person to blame, and that is us. Yes, you can say, well, the Satan. Well, what does God say? We have to overcome him. What did Christ have to overcome? He had to overcome Satan before he could begin his ministry out there after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Same thing. And he did. And we must also. Ephesians chapter 3. If we're going to be one with Christ, with God, we've been going over that. And so what, what does... Paul here again. And 
Blessed be Paul. And I know he'll have a great place in the kingdom. But look how much he has taught us. How much he has taught us. So in chapter 3 of Ephesians, in verse 13. So then, I beseech you not to faint at my tribulation, Paul says. No, forget about that. I did that willingly. I did it for you. And in verse 16, He, God, may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power by his Spirit in the inner man. He gave us when he called us, and we responded. He gave us a nurse of his Spirit. We don't know how much or how little in I suppose, in either way, except we know he did give it to us because he was not going to leave us unable to go forward and do all of the things throughout the Word of God that he says we should be doing. So he gave us the Spirit because it had to be that way. Yes, it's by faith, but it's by the power of God. It doesn't work any other way. To be strengthened in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. As I said, by faith, it must be that way. And that being rooted and grounded in love, the love of God that is personified there in Matthew, Matthew 22, 37 that we have the great commandment. Why is he called the great commandment? Because it's essential if we're going to literally become a son of God. We have to be faithful in our part so that we can receive God's love. And that is what they are saying. In love, that you may be fully able to comprehend Comprehend with all of the other saints that have been called what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of everything God has taught us. Everything he wants to see in us that we truly can become one with God. And on that great and glorious day of the first resurrection, that we can then see him and Christ face to face. Now that is our assignment. And God wants that for us. And so shouldn't we be willing to fight for it? Well, that's my message, brother.